0: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Welcome to Car Stuff, I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben, not a
4: royal, Bowlin. Not a royal, very important distinction to make in this episode, right? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Now, this is the second time we're going to dip into uh, the book that you gave me for your birthday, which... Uh, You'll have to listen to a previous episode to understand what that means exactly, but uh, thanks again. Hey, thank you. And it's called Strange But True Tales of Car Collecting. It's by Keith Martin. And there was a very interesting story in here about the Sultan of Brunei and his car collection.
3: Yeah, so a lot of people listening here have probably heard of the country Brunei, but may not know too much about it uh brunei does have a sultan that is not an anachronism or a joke that we're making brunei is a sovereign state it's on the north coast of borneo uh they're in southeast asia uh, and it's got a coastline with the south china sea but other than that it's completely surrounded by malaysia so it's this one little spot of malaysia that is its own place with a sultan and with some massive oil wealth i've heard it described as an island
4: within an island That's a very good description. But it does have that beautiful coast as well. And there's Mm. some interesting stuff that goes on in Brunei, right? I mean, uh, the industry that mainly uh, feeds into
3: the economy of Brunei would
4: be oil and gas, right? Yep. Okay, So, so the sultan is profiting from the oil and gas, right?
3: Right. At one time, fun fact for all you listeners out there, the sultan of Brunei was the world's richest individual, the richest man on earth uh, as far as we can estimate. Yeah. Uh,
4: what valued it something like, I, I mean, his net worth is some somewhere in the neighborhood of like $20 billion or something like that. With a B. With a B, that's right. So uh, you're talking about huge, huge amounts of money, and I, I'd like to talk about his palace at some point, but uh, maybe not yet because I, I want to kind of lead into the story and, and get a, a kind of a groundwork for what we're talking about here mm-hmm. because the story in the book is called A Princely Collection Rots, and that kind of hints at what we're going to talk about today, but I think that – Uh, we need to talk about, you know, how many cars are rumored to be in this, uh, in this prince's collection, right? Or the, uh, or rather the, uh, the sultan's collection. And, Mm -hmm. um, I've seen estimates, Ben, that, that run the gamut here. I mean, everything from at the low end, 2,000 cars. Right. That's the
3: one I see most
4: often. Which is a lot of cars. Still. 2,000 cars. And, you know, these aren't ordinary cars, as we'll
3: discuss. These aren't Corollas.
4: I've also seen it, uh, estimated at 7,000 cars. Now, that's a little high, I think. I don't think that it's 7,000. I've seen numbers anywhere in between as well. You know, like 5,000 cars, four and a half thousand cars. But it seems to me that between two and 3,000 cars is about what we're talking about here. And there's some credible, you know, some credible sources that we can point to that will show us that 2,000 is pretty likely in this case. Mm
3: -hmm. That's true. And uh, that seems like a lot of cars. Sure. To ordinary uh, non-sultans like you and I and probably the majority of our listeners to go out on a limb. Uh, however, let's also consider uh, just how well Brunei and therefore the royal family have been doing. In 2011, the IMF estimated that they were one of uh, only two countries with a public debt at zero percent of the national GDP. Really? Yeah. The other country was Libya. Uh, and then mm. Forbes also ranked Brunei as the fifth richest nation in the world not bad based on their petroleum gas so really two to three thousand cars if you're the guy in charge of that uh while it may be excessive it's certainly not denting your wallet
4: oh but this brings about a a just a, a myriad of nightmares right i mean right. there's so much that, that that has to happen in order to keep those two to three thousand cars operational right sure and, and storing them and the mechanics that go along Ooh. with it and just there's so much. and, and oh and the location of brunei I mean, this is yeah. a, a very, you know, wet, humid, uh, hot region as part of this part of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be difficult to keep cars maintained in that area. And right? the cars
3: have to be flown in. And let's not forget, uh, for any listeners who have checked out our podcast on the world's most expensive oil change, uh, some exotic cars have to be flown back to the manufacturer for maintenance.
4: And these are exotics because this this whole collection, as you would guess, is not, you know, you're, uh, you're running the of a milk car. It's not anything that... Uh, you know, you or I would be driving Ben. Nope. Is,
3: yeah, not many Hondas or Monte Carlos. No,
4: no, no. There's uh, there's exotics, and I mean the, the top-end exotics and, you know, custom one-offs that come from fa- the factories. And we'll, we'll talk about those as well when we get to this. Not just bespoke, but even beyond that. I don't know if there is a beyond that, but it seems like there is in this case because yeah. of some of the extreme, um, extravagant examples that we'll talk about. So. Let's just talk just for one second Ben about the sultan himself cuz okay. uh, he's he's 68 years old. Mm-hmm. He's the 29th sultan of Brunei cuz this is a uh, an office that you know when you hold it you're called the sultan of Brunei but I guess he um went to the throne or a, after his father abdicated the throne, right? And it was right. something like 1967. So the sultan's been in power for a long long time. Um again, 20 billion 20 billion dollar net worth uh, that's estimated, you know, give or take 500 million I think is what they say. Um He lives in a palace that is pretty incredible. Now, the palace has something like 1788 rooms in this palace, Ben. Yep. Nearly 1800 rooms. Uh, he has three wives. He has eight children. I would expect he'd have more children. I don't know why I thought that, but, um, more than eight. I mean, eight legit children. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. So, that's like, oh, also, he's on the money, you know, like on the coins. Right. So, you kind of get the idea of of where we're going at this, right? I mean, it's kind of an ultimate power position. I mean, that's
3: making it when your face is on the money. It
4: really is. Now, you would think that this guy would be the one with all the cars, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, it turns out that, uh, according to, uh, you know, the guy that we're going to talk about in just a minute, it turns out that the cars don't necessarily belong to the sultan. Now I'm sure that the sultan owns many, many exotic and and mm-hmm. and uh, um, luxury vehicles, ultimate luxury vehicles. However, th- this collection, the one that we we typically see photos of or you know have heard about, belongs to his
3: brother, his third brother, Prince Jeffrey. Ah, uh, yes, the notorious playboy of Brunei, mm-hmm. Prince Jeffrey, that's J-E-F-R-I, although, uh, some sources say he preferred to be called Robin, which we'll get to in a moment. Robin? Yeah, oh, oh. hang on, buddy, you'll like that part. I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, so, uh, Prince Jeffrey is the youngest. He is about 59 at the time of this recording. And, uh, you will often hear hyperbolic things about him such as he is the man who has gone through the most cash on earth. People call him, uh, you know, they call him a playboy because he lives a life of luxury, but he also, uh, has held positions in the government of Brunei. You know, he has a job. Yeah, sure
4: he does. And that's kind of the, the downfall of Prince Jeffrey because, uh, this story doesn't end up so well. I mean, it, I guess, uh, you know, modern day they've seen him around in Brunei. So he's not like he's disappeared or anything like that. But, uh, there were some bad times for Prince Jeffrey following the very, very good times. Right. So yeah. he was, uh, he was, I guess, the Minister of Finance for Brunei. Mm-hmm. All the way up until about 1997, and he controlled the revenue from oil and gas through uh, the BIA, which is Brunei Investment Authority, and a complete network of companies under the name of Amadeo. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, he you know along the, t- the way he's making millions and millions and millions of dollars, if not billions, right at this point. And uh, he had a taste for exotic and fine automobiles, and it was really kind of a, it was an. I guess, an endless obsession with him to uh, to get more and better vehicles along the way.
3: Yes, kind of similar to the Schlumpf obsession mm-hmm. uh, that we talked about in an earlier episode.
4: Exactly, but the the, the problem with this one, or the, uh, I don't know if it's a problem, but the accelerant in this one is that he had virtually endless cash to do what right. he
3: wanted. Right, whereas the Schlumps were limited by the uh, um, the revenue of their textile business, Uh the, so,
4: oh, somewhat, right? Yes, yeah, somewhat. Somewhat, as was Prince Jeffrey, somewhat. Because, yeah,
3: but there, there are two different somewhats there.
4: Uh, yeah, I guess so, but, uh, you know, the, the whole thing, the downfall of this whole mm-hmm. thing, because there was some, uh, some dirtiness going on here as well, Ben.
3: Right, yeah, he was, he he was embezzling. Now, there there's a difference here, a distinction that we should make. You know, Scott, you and I come from the United States, so we don't have a, a le- we don't legally speaking have a royal family. I, I would say there are aristocrats of sorts here, and there are, you know, there are people who um, are are born into, uh, you know, like a higher likelihood of having a political position or something, but uh, we don't have kings and queens and princes and princesses and all that jazz, so it can be difficult for us as Westerners to understand, you know, how is this not embezzling? Mm -hmm. You know, but the thing is, in some places, that money does belong to the royal family. Well, there's a little more leeway given in situations like
4: that. I understand that. I I get it, and I know the rules are are slightly different, or sometimes really different, but Mm -hmm. here's what happened, Ben. In the financial crisis in Asia in 1997 triggered... Uh, the same financial crisis in Brunei. Mm -hmm. And of course, this caused an audit to happen for, of the, uh, the BIA
3: books. Right. Uh, the firm Arthur Anderson was ordered by the Sultan himself to audit the books of the Brunei Investment Authority. And they found that between 1983 and 1998, some 40 billion in what was called special transfers were made by the BIA. Uh, and that Prince Jeffrey, had personally squandered fourteen point eight billion of that forty billion.
4: What is going on here? Because between nineteen eighty three and nineteen ninety eight, I mean that's uh, fifteen years, right? Yeah. All right, fifteen years. You're spending nearly fifteen billion dollars. I mean, I would think that it would be difficult to spend a billion dollars a year. I mean, but maybe maybe I'm way off in the spend. But I would think it would be actually kind of hard to do that.
3: Yeah, you'd have to be. Um, Creative and driven. Honestly, I think you would. But when we talk about the car
4: collection alone, I mm. mean, I know that there's a whole lifestyle that goes along with sure. all of this, right? I mean, but okay, we're getting beyond ourselves here. Let me let me back it up for a second. Right, I just wanted to here. say that the Amadeo Investment Group collapsed because it had about ten billion dollars in debt, and then there were some investments, or you know, what I shouldn't say investments. I guess there were some properties that uh, that Prince Jeffrey had to return to the Brunei government. Mm-hmm. And some of these these uh, properties included oh, yeah. uh, things like, well, he had to, he had to return more than two thousand cars. That's one thing, right? Yep. Now I don't understand how that works. We'll talk about that maybe in a little while. But um, hundreds of paintings, five yachts, five yachts. That's, yeah, that's right, and <laughs> nine world class aircraft. And when we say world class aircraft, we're talking about like you know you got a seven forty seven, yeah, and uh, and everything is gold and and um, crystal. And the mm. finest of rugs on the floor. And it's just, a
3: mansion in the sky. It's
4: amazing. If you ever see the, uh, you know, some of these, uh, uh, well, pictures, I guess, of the the aircraft that he has not restored, but more or less, uh, you know, redone. I guess. Well, how do you want to say that? Maybe.
3: Um, I would say, well, they are bespoke. Um, yeah, bespoke, modified. Well, yeah. modified doesn't quite cut
4: it. Oh, I wouldn't say so. When you see the inside of these, it's just incredible. So, anyways, take a look at those. But you know, um, nine world class aircraft. Uh, of course, there's court documents that say you know uh, you got to return seventy eight million dollars worth of uh, worth of cars to a uh, an Italian design house. You know, for having custom built uh, Ferraris, Pininfarina Spa. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Also, four hundred and seventy-five million dollars uh, back to Rolls Royce um, wow. for, for bespoke automobiles as well, and nine hundred million dollars to a British jeweler. Yes, so that's the stuff he just had to return. Now, that's I, I can't imagine having that much plus more. That's just the things that uh, that the court said you have to give this stuff back.
5: Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table. And speak from the heart, in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or work the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically. This is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.
7: smart and intellectual i'm kind of smart i think like it would be fun we have the best conversations like we have fun but then he would treat me like crap
6: listen to on purpose with jay shetty on the iheart radio app apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts trust me you won't want to miss this one imagine you ask
0: two people the same exact set of seven questions i'm Mini driver
3: So let's, uh, while we're here and we're talking about excess, before we get to the cars, I do have an interesting side note for you here. All right. All right. Now this is a family show. So let's keep this next part clean. Uh, Scott, Prince Jeffrey, in addition to his love of cars and his huge collection of cars had a harem. Did he really? In the, like in the eighties and nineties. That was still happening. Hmm. Um, and there there's a lady who came from New Jersey named Jillian Warren, and she wrote a book about her time in Prince Jeffrey's harem. Now, this is interesting because I had always heard that the, the
4: sultan had a harem, and it was kind of an infamous tale, I guess, that the sultan had a harem, but I'd never heard that Prince Jeffrey had a harem. Maybe it was him and not the sultan.
3: Oh yeah, maybe it's like the cars, huh? You don't uh, know? Maybe I don't know. Well, here's uh, here's the thing the the stories that we heard that's how that's where I got the name Robin because according to the author of Some Girls, My Life in a Harem, uh, he enjoyed being called like he wanted people to call him Robin, and uh, it was one of the vanity license plates on his rolls, oh, no one kidding. of his rolls. So that is seen as corroborating evidence, uh, but. She, uh, she left the harem eventually, you know, she was there consensually and, uh, when she came back and she wrote the book, she later married the bass player of Weezer. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's a strange side note. That's, I that's mean, weird. that's the end of the story. That is
3: weird. Now, I
4: know that, uh, you know, some of the people that were being attracted to this type of lifestyle were like, uh, former Miss USA pageant winners and things like that,
3: right? Right. Yeah. Uh, ex-Miss USA Shannon Marchetic returned from Brunei in 1997 and she sued both Prince Jeffrey and the Sultan. Uh, she claimed that she, uh, was held against her will. Jeffrey claimed uh Prince Jeffrey that is claimed diplomatic immunity. Hmm,
4: interesting. All right. So uh so there's some a little bit of hinky business going on there at the uh the palace and you know I don't know if was actually happened at the palace at the the Brunei the Sultan of Brunei's palace or right
3: because remember even just the property he had to return he had to return 500 pieces of property in Brunei right? Yeah,
4: that's right. And that is uh that that is
3: Prince Jeffrey's
4: property. Now right. The Sultan can I just mention his palace before we move on? Yeah, because yeah, let's do it. I, I want to get to this car collection. I really do, and, uh, and the tale of uh, Michael Sheehan. But um, I think we should talk about the palace just for a second as a side note, because uh, there's some interesting amazing. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so it's the official residence of the Sultan of Brunei. You would understand that, right? I mean, it's the seat of the Brunei government. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like uh, right there in Brunei's capital. The construction was completed in 1984, and it cost $1.4 billion U.S. dollars to build this thing. Um, it is the largest residential palace in the world and the largest single family residence ever built ever so throughout all of human history, correct, and I'll tell you how big this is uh it it, it has two thousand uh, <laughs> you know I'm starting to read two thousand it's two million one hundred and fifty two thousand seven hundred and eighty two square feet of floor space wow, so you know when you're going to buy a house here locally. You're like, well, it's got about uh, 900 square feet, or you know, <laughs> 1,800 square feet, or whatever it is. This is 2.1 million square feet of floor space in this place. Now it has 1,788 rooms, as I mentioned before. Yep. That includes 257 bathrooms, a banquet hall that can be expanded to accommodate up to 5,000 guests at a time. What? Why? Five well, big dinners. I mean,
3: yeah, I guess if you're the sultan. <laughs> I
4: guess so. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever known five thousand people combined over my whole life. I don't think so. All right. So uh, he also has a mosque uh, which can accommodate fifteen hundred people. That's pretty well, big that, as well. That makes sense too. And this is uh, this is interesting. The palace also has a one hundred and ten car garage. Now that right away tells you that maybe all those cars aren't his, but uh, I'm sure they're outbuildings and things like that. Right? right. But this this palace itself has a one hundred and ten car garage. It also has an air-conditioned stable for the Sultan's 200 polo ponies. Hang on. Wait.
3: Polo pon- ponies? Polo ponies in the palace. Po- polo ponies in the palace. Yeah, 200 of them. Wow. Yeah, 200 ponies. All How right, many so... do you need
4: for a game of polo? <laughs> I don't know. And if you want to go swimming, he's got five swimming pools. So this is a big place. You get the <laughs> yeah. idea, right? Right. I mean, it has 18 elevators. Uh You know, it goes <laughs> on to, like, the number of light bulbs. It is 51,000 thousand light bulbs in the palace
3: well it's also i i know it sounds ridiculous but if it really is so big then uh, it would take it, it kind of makes sense that there would be more than one swimming pool and things like that because yeah. otherwise he it would be a long, long walk.
4: Yeah, you'd have a, a
3: hike to get to wherever
4: you're going. Right. That would be uh, troublesome.
3: So we're, I think we've done an okay job of putting, uh, the lifestyle right here mm-hmm. in perspective. Um, because, you know, the first question is like, how could somebody walk away from these amazing vehicles? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Prince Jeffrey's, uh, expenses had been estimated at 50 million a month at one point.
4: 50 million a month. That's amazing. I That's mean, again, an estimate. Again, how the heck do you do that? But I think that you do that by going to some of these, uh, these luxury automakers and, and mm-hmm. sports car makers and saying, I want, uh, specifically, I want this. I need, uh, I need them all to fit me and I want one of every color once you make it. That kind of thing. And that happened often as we go through this story. Mm-hmm. You'll find that he goes to Rolls Royce and says, I, "I'm going to order nine hundred million dollars worth of Rolls Royce cars, and I want all of them different. And I want them uh, here. You know, I'll, I will work with the designers and how how to lay them out." Um, he right. does the same thing at Ferrari. He does the same mm-hmm. thing at Bentley. I mean, it's just ac- across the board, just throwing cash at them.
3: And now we have set the stage, and we are entering. Uh, a fantastic story by Michael Sheehan.
4: Yeah. Now, of course, all these rumors and everything, you know, online print, word of mouth, all this. But Michael Sheehan, to me, has the most credible story of, of this collection yeah, and, and what he saw because he was invited there to see uh, the collection or to buy a couple of cars from the collection because yep. Michael Sheehan is um, hes an owner and operator of a site called FerrarisOnline.com. And he's a Ferrari historian, a race car driver, a columnist. Um, and an exotic car broker. So you know, you want a Ferrari, you can go to him. Mm-hmm. He happened to get an invite to come and look at a couple of uh, a couple of vehicles, more than a couple. I think he was invited to look at like fourteen or fifteen uh, yeah, cars. Yeah,
3: uh, thirteen Ferraris and McLaren F ones. Okay,
4: so you know, he's invited to see a specific set of vehicles within the prince's collection in two thousand
3: two, and mm-hmm. so this is
4: you know twelve years ago at this point. And what he saw there was absolutely astounding.
3: Right, yeah. After the negotiations, he agreed to buy two McLarens, a uh, Ferraro F40 LM, uh, 288 GTO, uh, and those were for his clients. And he also had an option to buy another 16 McLarens and Ferraris. But when he got there, he stayed at a really swank place called the Empire Hotel. This was also built by Prince Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has let's see Scott it costs 1.1 billion to build uh he describes it as beyond opulent uh, and even though he says the Empire was built to accommodate over a thousand guests I never saw more than a dozen people in the hotel at any time
4: how weird now, I looked at photos of the Empire Hotel it's beautiful it's amazing it really is and beyond opulent is a is a great way to describe it it's a bit gaudy I guess in the way that you know it's it's overdone really but yeah. it's, it's gorgeous it's huge and again, there's nobody there. He also mentions that he went to a place called uh Jaredong Park. Uh-huh. And that is the largest most expensive amusement park in all of Southeast Asia, but he says it was also completely almost abandoned. I mean, there are very very few people there. The thing is about that park has been that's also free to uh to 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 go and visit. I mean, you don't have to pay anything to go into this amusement park. Right, yeah. And I think there've been different periods where they charge you a little bit, they don't charge you anything, but uh it's it's also built by Prince Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, uh, cost him a billion dollars again, uh, but again, there's no admission being charged to this, and it's almost empty. It's how strange is that? Yeah,
3: D- wait, do you think the Empire Hotel is tacky, though? I, uh, I think a little bit. Yeah, really? I think a little bit. All it's a, right. uh, it's a little bit overdone for me. I mean, it's not what I would do. I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, I don't like a whole lot of flash, but, but I thought it was, I would, I would say there. Well, it's pretty,
4: I know, but, uh, you know, there's probably a good reason that there's not many tourists in Brunei,
5: right? or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.
6: Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma,
7: we have fun but then he would treat me like crap.
6: Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions.
0: I'm Minnie Driver.
3: Ah, that is true. Uh as a Muslim country, Brunei has a couple of laws that might turn off some uh jet setters from other countries, one of the big ones being that there is no alcohol allowed. It is forbidden, it is haram. Uh there's no nightlife, really. Mm-hmm. Um Because like, there's no alcohol? Well, you know, I don't know if that's a one to one link. Now maybe. Maybe. But uh but also, as as Shehan says, he saw virtually no tourists. Mm-hmm. So, that that was counterintuitive to me because Brunei is a place that I would love to visit. You know, well
4: maybe yeah, but I, I think the vast majority of people are looking for something to do in the evening as well. And if there's almost no nightlife, you know, there, if there's almost uh, well, there's actually there's no alcohol there. Right. I wonder what other strict laws there are that uh, that you know. We as Westerners might not understand, you know, mm. until you really dig into the country and, and realize like, well, I'm there, I can't do this. I can't I can't do mm. this and I'm I'm normally accustomed to doing that, you know, when I'm on
5: vacation.
3: Well probably uh violating Ramadan is a big deal. You're probably know, eating during the the forbidden time there. Um yeah, you're right. There it's always a good idea. A lot of our listeners, you know, uh have traveled to other countries, so everybody hopefully knows this whenever you're going somewhere do your research first because yeah. it's easy to accidentally break a law
4: yeah but i i totally agree with you i think this would be a fascinating place to visit i mean it it looks beautiful from all the photos that i've mm-hmm. seen i mean it's got a great location right yeah uh, the climate's a little hot and humid for someone like me but uh <laughs> then again so's florida and i go
3: there <laughs> yeah it's true um now Michael Sheehan, though, is no ordinary person, as we said, and he's not being treated as one. The Brunei family sends a uh, bodyguard to pick him up mm-hmm. and to take him to visit this uh, car collection. They go to a compound down the coast, and it's surrounded by high walls, top of razor wire, bomb-proof front gate uh, when they get inside, they have to turn in their passports and their cameras.
4: This is so much like a military complex, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's essentially what it is, really. And the other thing is that, you know, he's, he's extremely lucky, I guess, to have been selected to
3: see this car collection that's at all. winning a lottery, really. It, it
4: really is, because very few people have seen the extent of the car collection. They'll see them one at a time, you know, with Prince Jeffrey as he makes a trip to London or, you know, wherever. But you're not going to get the, you're not going to be able to grasp the full, the full collection all at one time. So here he is. He's being invited into the compound. They went through many,
3: many buildings, right? Yeah. It reminds me of like the cave of wonders in all the, in all the old fairy tales. Yeah. They went through, uh, at first they went through one two story building, then they went through another one and there were 120 cars on each level. Mm-hmm. Then they went to another one. Yeah. Then they went to another one. Yeah. There
4: were eight. <laughs> there were a total of eight. Two story buildings, each of them about 250 feet long by 60 feet wide, and each level held 120 cars. So right there, that's a huge bit of, bit of, uh, the collection. Now he said each level had a semblance of a theme. So, you know, just sort of a theme, but not, not entirely a theme, I guess. You know, like, right. like one building was filled with Porsches from 959s, um, up to the late 1990s. And then another floor held mainly black on black Mercedes from you know the mid nineteen nineties. You know they were all five hundred sedans. Um, then you know another building held uh, coach built Rolls Royces, Bentleys, Aston Martins, and uh, then another building that held you know nineteen ninety model model Ferraris. Um, you know just this really really strange setup of vehicles, and 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 they did have a. A grouping, I guess, that were sure. that were similar, but there was, they said like a theme. He didn't collect like, um, popular race cars from the 1960s in this one, this building. He had all of one kind in one building.
3: Right. Yeah. And also he had an experimental wing. That's what I'm going to call it. Mm-hmm. Although Sheehan doesn't call it that. He had uh, a building with, uh, 550s and 456s. And some of the 550s had the experimental X-Track automatic gearboxes. Uh, and he says that six of them, get this, were coated in radar-reflective matte black coatings and fitted with infrared cameras for, I, I can only imagine, stealth night driving. Kind of strange, huh? I think that's cool. I, I'm i going to say it, man. I feel like this guy has good-tasting cars. And
4: this is the 1990s. Yeah, so okay. this really is some night Rider stuff. Well, this isn't like the Rainbow Chic collection that we saw. Remember that... Uh this is this is another level. This is different, yeah, right?
3: Yeah, this is a little more performance oriented. I think the Rainbow Chic is more of an aesthetic.
4: And I know we sound like we're just going through all these, but you have to get an idea, a picture of what they see here. So, you know, one of the lower floor areas revealed that there were rows, and I, I mean rows of right-hand drive Ferrari Testaroses and 512s and 512Ms. And another building contained almost all coach-built
3: Ferraris. Also, uh, a lot of those are right-hand drive. That's why you had to pay so much.
4: Yeah, that's right. And a couple of, uh, get this, this is so weird. Now, I'm, I'm skipping over a bunch of them, yeah, right? Yeah. There were some station wagon Ferraris that were <laughs> right. in there as well that were kind of one-offs that Ferrari built specifically for him. There were a pair of, uh, what they call mythoi, which is really, I guess, the, the, uh, the plural of mythos vehicles. Yeah. And if you look up Ferrari mythos, you'll see that, um, that's uh, really not, uh, they're, they're not, I'll tell you, they're not as ugly as the one that, uh, that is called the F90. Uh, uh-huh. th- but these are concept vehicles from Ferrari that the, that the Prince owns. Yeah. So his collection has got some really unusual vehicles. There was one, uh, what he'll call a to- uh, token Enzo era Ferrari, and that was a right-hand drive 275 GTS. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if you, if you enter these, if you go through these eight buildings, Ben, then there is a, a large, uh, I guess, glass-walled showroom uh-huh. that held three McLaren F1s. That's three McLaren F1s. Did you hear me correctly? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. amazing right there. <laughs> All right. Um A
3: 288 GTO Evo, an F50, and an F40 LM. Oh, now let's talk about this uh F40 LM, too, because it's black on black. So black paint, black leather interior, red piping, power windows, AC. um But he said, he said, this is where he noticed something. Uh, now you talked earlier, we mentioned that Brunei has a, a very hot, humid climate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he noticed that the air conditioning in this, in this amazing, uh, garage of wonders, which yes. I'll call it now, this it, glass showroom. Yeah, the AC is off. Yeah, there's no
4: air conditioning happening in there. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the hot, humid conditions in Brunei, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think that our listeners probably know where this story is going already, but um, the cars are, are suffering some, uh, some signs of neglect.
3: Right, yeah, because they're in, first off, they're in the wrong environment for preservation, mm-hmm. and secondly, it looks like they're not getting all the maintenance that they need, right?
4: Mm-hmm, I'll say. We'll talk about maintenance in just a minute because mm-hmm. we'll find out, what's going on there in just a second. But, uh, the, but the tour continues. Yeah,
3: the tour's not over. At the back of the compound, there are two other two-story buildings uh, about 50 feet apart, and they're very long. Uh They had a corrugated tin roof between them, right? Yeah. So this is more of a carport rather than a garage. Yeah. Or a building. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um And it, it shelters them from, you know, some of the worst of the sunlight, but it's not the best thing for uh the rain. So under this shade... Literally, Scott, just parked out under this, this beat up 10 roof. Uh, there were 300, 500 SELs and SLs.
4: Ah, it's amazing. And the thing is, all of them are black on black and a lot of them have the windows down. And we mentioned that, you know, the rain is allowed to just get underneath this roof. And of course, you know, there's monsoons, I guess, that happen there. You know, it's, <laughs> a, I mean, there's the rainy season, right? And, yeah. And the thing is, with the windows down and the heat and the humidity and everything, These cars are just rotting away.
3: And they've got bespoke interiors too, you guys. So a lot of these are AMG specials, which means they have wood or carbon fiber trim. Yeah,
4: these are rare collectible vehicles. These are not like, these are not just the ones that you would go into the dealership and buy off the showroom floor. These are ones that have additional, uh, additional
3: touches. A lot of these are one of a kind.
4: Again, AMG motors in some of these things. And you you mentioned the interior treatments and Mm. uh, millions, millions and millions of dollars of beautiful, Rare collector vehicles that are just left out into the, I guess, the open, uh, sea air. I don't know Mm -hmm. what better way to describe that, Ben. I mean, they're just, they're just rotting away.
3: Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's an illustrative example here. It's, uh, it's going to be a little sad for me as well. Sure. Um, This Rolls Royce convertible. Beautiful car. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mid 1990s. Yep. Uh, and, the rolls have become so hot with the windows up, this one had its windows up, that the steering wheel's foam padding melted into a puddle on the driver's seat. The leather wrap hung down from the barren steel rim, and he has an interesting comparison. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to read on family We'll
4: Show. say it was like a deflated airbag. How about that? That's
3: perfect. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the entire interior, says Michael, was fuzzy with mold from the heat and the humidity and that's that's the thing that gets me man is that you know even down here down south we know that if you leave a car out too long in the heat uh with the windows up over summer it's going to damage the car the interior will crack uh it is quite possible especially if moisture gets in that mold will grow animals of all sorts will find their way inside and uh you know that's a tragedy when it happens to someone's daily driver these are Works of art,
4: pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, he's describing this one as having, uh, in that Rolls Royce had a gray, furry blanket of, of mold and moss over it. How disgusting is that? I mean, that's, that's so bad. I can't, I just can't tell you how bad this is. Now, you remember the, uh, the cars we were just talking about, the, yeah. uh, the 300 Mercedes that were lined up? Mm-hmm. He said they called that area the, uh, the reef. And they said, he said that's because the only use or the only possible use for the, all of those Mercedes now is to be used as a, an artificial reef somewhere offshore. But the tour's not over yet. No, there's even more. (laughs) There's even more than that. Uh, so this is crazy. You go into a single story building that holds another 60, what he calls truly unique cars. And some of these, or most of these, are in a very bright yellow color, which, okay, now we're, now we're getting back into the, uh, the rainbow chic territory. Yeah, that's right. But, um, (laughs) boy, this, including a row of four wheel drive Bentley station wagons, a dozen late model Lamborghinis, a few non-yellow cars, like a 456 Venice wagon, which, again, this is a 456 um, Venice Ferrari station wagon. If most people probably haven't even really heard about these. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a one-off thing. Only seven were built. Uh, and, of course, these were all ordered by the prince. And he bought them for uh, all totaled, I guess. Eventually, they figured out how much these were worth because of what it cost to build the seven. $1.5 million each. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. Th- and now they're just left there rotting, okay? So um there's also a side room that was filled with high-end motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, And another room, this is strange, another room that was filled with hundreds of empty Rolex Cartier and... Uh, Petit Philippe? Yeah, there you go. Petit Philippe. I, I can't even say it. I'm probably mispronouncing it, too. That's right, but the empty watch presentation boxes. Now, that's strange, right? I wonder what's going on there. He probably has been giving these watches to people and just dumping the watch boxes... Um, his gifts. in, in this great. room.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's given them away. Um, maybe it's in case someone wants to return it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe
4: a big party. He's like, I'm going to need a thousand Rolex watches with this yeah. design and I'm going to give one to every guest. You know, that kind of thing. That's
3: pretty cool. And
4: then this is the room where the, uh, the presentation boxes ended up.
3: But the tour is not over yet, yeah. which I'll be <laughs> saying a couple more times. Uh, <laughs> There's even more. Yeah. Behind one of the buildings, uh, they have a, now you guys are probably, hip to the game here You go, okay, those are the first string cars. Where's the second string batch? Uh, they're behind one of the buildings. These are a row of lesser cars, including, uh, and I love how every so often he says "token." Mm-hmm. It's like including the token Corvette, but these being unprotected were destroyed by the sun and the rain. Uh, the mechanics deserted the collection in 1998. You know, a year after that financial crisis.
4: Yeah. See, now this is this is it. 1998. It the, the collection has been abandoned by the mechanics since 1998, and that's where it all fell apart. And this yeah. is 2002. So you know, this is uh, only four years later that he's seen this collection, and this is the condition it's in.
3: And uh, I'm going to quote him directly for this next line. What had once been the planet's largest collection of coach built and high-end exotics was now a vast automotive tomb patrolled only by a few Gurkhas with dogs. Wow. Oh, man, unbelievable.
4: I mean, and to think that, again, this is only four years later, and, and now here we are, how, what year are we in, 2014? Yes, yes. So this is 12 years beyond that, so we're talking 16 years now. These cars have not really been maintained or, or anything like that, so um, you know they're they're just sitting there rotting. They're still there, as far as I know. Right now, I believe that a few of them uh, have been given to locals. You know, locals have been uh, gifted some of the uh, I'll call them lesser Mercedes models. You know, that uh, maybe the AMG models or something. I mean, the ones, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. But um, aside from that, most of the collection is still there because. You know, he saw several hundred, if not several thousand cars during this, uh, during this trip, right? This Michael Sheehan did. And, you know, he, he noted that none of them had titles and, you know, he's there trying to buy several of them. So he did say that, you know, I want to, I want to select a couple of these vehicles, not all of them that he's shown. Yeah. You know, to bring back. I want to import them to the United States for sale. Um, He wanted to note that, you know, none of them had titles and attaining a bill of sale or export documents was nearly impossible because um what he called the mid level bureaucrats were paralyzed by indecision of the fear of making a political mistake and issuing export paperwork. So I kind of understand that, you know, that uh they don't want to, you know, get rid of the stuff, but I mean look at the condition it's in. It's going to a better place, but you can't really look at it that way, maybe.
3: Well also you know, this is the Royal Car Collection, or one of. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to mess with it at all unless I was explicitly told that it was okay to get rid of
4: it. No, but see, that's the thing. Like, why not... Why would Prince Jeffrey not, you know, come forward and say, you know, I I agree to the export of these vehicles i i authorize this purchase but then again you know he he probably just doesn't care about them at this point i mean this is a collection that's worth billions of dollars yeah it's something that he was forced to give back to the uh the government i guess Mm -hmm. um that that was maybe the thing ben remember early we said that these are some of the these are the assets that he was forced to give back yep he doesn't really own them anymore, so maybe he can't even intervene and say, like, I authorize a sale. It's probably just a government legislation nightmare to get these things out.
3: And and if you also think about it, there's a bit of a catch-22 if the question is, well, why doesn't the Sultan say this, get rid of these cars? The catch-22 here is, who's going to go to the Sultan and say, you know, pardon me, your highness, yeah. um, I know that you're running the country, but those are some sweet Mercedes, and i kind of like sell them. Yeah, you remember how your brother kind of screwed things up about, oh, yeah, uh, about no. 15 years ago? I feel like that is, <laughs> ooh, that is a, that is a no Yeah, you would
4: definitely not say that. Now, yeah. okay, so, so Michael kind of wraps this whole thing up, and I'll, I'll have kind of a wrap of my own here, but, yeah. um, he kind of wraps things up by saying that although his trip to Brunei was an amazing cultural and an automotive experience, of course, because he saw cars that he didn't even know existed, really, um, they were never able to get a single car out of the collection because of that paperwork nightmare. And he says, you know, at the time when this is written, it was eight more years, but it's longer than that now. It's 12 years, 12 more years in a steamy, tropical, rainforest-type environment. None of those cars are even savable at this point because when it was just four years on after the mechanics yeah. had left, um, most of them were unsavable at that point. So, you know, here we are, well, geez, I want to say it's 17, 16, 17 years later. Uh, it, it pretty much all hope is given up at this point.
3: I mean, uh the rainforest is like any other forest man if you leave something in it long enough it's going to eat it
4: nature so. always conquers you know ben whenever i'm listening to like home repair type shows on the weekends and stuff and i do that cuz yeah. i you know i'm a middle-aged guy <laughs> i do that so uh you know anytime anybody brings up water issues you know the uh, the mantra is always um you know water always wins and it's it's true, it's true. And nature always wins as well i mean it just seems to uh seems to take over we've all we've all seen the uh the uh the program what is it like the world or the earth after humans or something like that or earth after man I don't know what it's called it's like earth without
3: us or after us like how long will things last just on their own and it's not very long no as a matter of fact not to be too survivalist about it but if you live in the United States and things go to pot then uh your best bet for continuous energy is probably the Hoover Dam. Oh man, that's, that's crazy. That's my it? one takeaway from that, from that immensely depressing show. I know it is depressing. <laughs> you're right.
4: All right, so let's uh, let's move back yeah, on yeah. here because I've got kind of a, a small wrap up. Unless there's more that you'd like to add about the collection at this point, but I can kind of sum up what he saw really. And yeah,
3: yeah. Let's, let's let's give you give it,
4: see that. Okay, so I, just kind of going through this and, and drawing out a, a quick outline of what he saw. The compound contains at least you know, this is just what he reported, eight two story buildings, a large glass walled showroom, a windowless theater, which I don't even know if we mentioned that or not, two long two story buildings with very little cover, a single story building with mostly the one with mostly yellow cars, a side room with high end motorcycles. All of these are packed with exotics and rare vehicles and even a few bespoke. Um, I guess what we'll call ordinary cars as well. So again, none of these have been started even since 2002. That was what, five years at that point right. or four years at that point. 16 years they haven't run even. Um, you know, 300 Mercedes SLs and SELs. I mean, hundreds, hundreds of Ferraris and Bentleys and, and Porsches and Rolls Royces, yeah. uh, just Jaguars and even there, I think there's even a Kona seg that I've seen mentioned in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so some newer vehicles and I don't, you know what, I'm, questioning the Kona Seg thing. I wonder if that's part of his or not, or the, the Sultan's.
3: Yeah. I don't know. But uh, here's the thing. Those cars have not really moved. You know, a couple have gone one place or the other, but as we said, most of them are still in that compound.
4: And I hope that they have gifted some of those to the locals, you know, the Mercedes. Yeah. Like they said that, uh, you know, some of them were, were given away, and I hope that's the case, because
3: at least somebody's getting some use out of them. I mean, can you imagine how you would explain that to you know your family or something like you live in Brunei and uh one day just on a good day the the sultan is like hey Scott you want a mercedes uh i i would love it he rolls up in his uh, in his rolls royce
4: that uh, <laughs> oh by the way the sultan this is another kind of weird little quirk i guess you know that uh, the sultan always at all times 24/7 yeah. has a rolls royce out in front of the palace that is constantly running it, they never shut it off. Whoa! It runs all the time. It's ready to go at a moment's notice for him. Rolls Royce. That's and, cool. uh, and I thought it was kind of a neat little fact. But so he's a car guy too. But imagine if he did roll up in his in his, in his you know great big Rolls Royce and say, yeah. "Guess what I've got for you? I've got a a very low miles Mercedes for you. Um, it's got some kind of funny features to it. It might be yellow. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, but what do you think? Do you want it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Your Highness. Yeah, you might have to deal with a little bit of mold mitigation, but um other than that, it's pretty good. I don't know how to speak to royalty, Scott. I would probably accidentally get myself uh executed. <laughs> Because I would be too casual. You know,
4: I'm sure it doesn't happen like that. I don't know what the, what
3: the case is here. They maybe probably send out a service. and yeah,
4: maybe it's given to uh, you know some government employees or something. You know that, uh, or bonuses for like or who, a job well done. This is all wild speculation. Yeah, knows, we don't know who knows what's going on. And honestly, that's the thing. When we dug into this, you know, start to look around, you're going to find so many varying stories about what's happening here. So many, so many uh, conflicting reports of how many cars in the collection. The cars that are there in the collection, like that Koenig that I mentioned no yeah. idea i saw it mentioned one time so i thought i'd throw it in there but the the fact remains that yes there are rows and rows and rows and thousands and thousands of vehicles there um who owns all of them who owned all of them at you know from the start from the get-go probably prince jeffrey but uh the sultan he may have his own massive collection still growing somewhere that we don't know about mm-hmm. um That's true. it's true just an interesting interesting
3: uh tale i guess and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we close our story for today. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed hearing about the Sultan of Brunei's car collection as much as we enjoy presenting on it. Uh, if you have a car collection that you want us to cover, uh, let us know. Cause I'm, I'm telling you, Scott, I'm digging these car collection episodes. Yeah,
4: I am too. We've had a few and, uh, there's some real surprises in there.
3: Yeah, there always is because you never know what people will decide they have to collect once they get in that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, If you want to check out some of those car collection podcasts that we have been talking about, visit our website, carstuffshow.com, where you can listen to all 600 plus of our podcasts. Uh, Some candidly, better than others, but you know, we're getting our sea legs once upon a time. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) It's been a while. It has been a long time, my friend. Um, And we're always looking for new episodes. So if you want to help us out, remember that our best episodes come from listener suggestions and you can talk to us on facebook you can follow us on twitter you can send us an email directly we are car stuff at howstuffworks.com
0: for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com let us know what you think send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com